Hello, everyone. I wanted to do a special edition. I wanted to do something that means a lot to me because right now I'm thinking about big picture issues. And big picture issues are things that I hope a lot of people can rally around, can really find connection and unify ourselves. And so what I'm going to do is this experimental series, and it's real, what I'm calling bedrock real, which means underneath the layers, where the bedrock is, what feels for me to be an unholy trinity of programs in the mind and in the collective consciousness, especially in the West, where there are a triangle of relations. Let's call them relations. And they are gods, slaves, and human sacrifice. Because I think there's something very deep here. Let's retrace, okay? Let's go to today. Folks worship celebrities. They'll also sacrifice them. Their stories in their lives become myths and legends. And we hold on to these things. We worship at the temple of Netflix in a time where screens are becoming our security blankets. And we're getting perspectives from historical things, but there's all sorts of narrative mix-ups or uh, a historian of a semi or a, a full period piece would be worried because Hollywood and screenwriters and show writers are being extra creative. And for me as a witch, maybe there's something from a past life there. Maybe they've got some insider information that has been buried and unfound. But that's why I want to go deep for God's slaves and human sacrifice we do it with celebrities, we do it with politicians, and this episode is on Rome. Rome, for Western civilization, be it um, imperialistic capitalism, be it uh, the ideas of what uh, a republic is, the realities of gender and class in Rome, I want this to be an elevated uh, response that I'm having as I'm watching some of the documentaries and reading a book by Cambridge professor of classics, Mary Beard. You can go on YouTube, and there are great episodes of her BBC documentary series, um, especially Mary Beard's Rome, because like a lot of great scholars of the past few generations, they are debunking myths. It's important that academics review 
as I was an academic, I was in music history, musicology at UCLA, we have to review the literature. We have to review the bibliographies and the sources and come up with, in our inevitable quantum world of intersubjectivity, we make decisions about how we read and interpret source documents, uh, physical finds, a Greek vase from a certain period in a certain Roman neighborhood. You know, we put those things together. I want this series to be about how we get into information, how we process a little bit of it. I feel very blessed that in my time as a, uh, I was going to say recovering academic, because I do say that, because I think being an academic is like being a doctor or a lawyer, and you know you're a part of an imperial sedimentary layer. You know, we, we maneuver information. We maneuver opinion and perspective about the world, right? And so for this series, for God's slaves and human sacrifice, I decided to zero in on Rome. And so some of the themes I want to keep on bringing up in this unfortunate trinity of human relations is why we have a God, God above, us below dynamic. You know, that the gods are going to save us. Jupiter, Stator, in the case of Rome. Mars, for whom Rome believed to be a primary support from the sky, from the heavens. Mars, the god of war. And Mars required, as many of the pantheon did for Romans, sacrifice. Now, usually these are animals, but if we keep in mind that war does include a ritualistic ceremonial slaughtering of people. They look at each other as something to be sacrificed for the accumulation or the annexation or simply to, as Mary Beard says, the Romans just wanted to exert their will when and how they wanted. The spirit of Mars flowing through the city's blood. All right. So, the things I noticed while reading Mary Beard's book, and I certainly haven't gotten all the way through. Where am I? Where am I? I am halfway through. So there may be other episodes dealing with Rome. But what Rome had in three generalized periods were its beginnings with a king, the overthrowing of a king into a consulate, two men, two wealthy men. And then, when Julius Caesar became dictator for life, and Caesar Augustus made temples to himself as a deity, we get to 
the emperors and the empresses and that whole circus. Now circus in Latin just means a, a, a great wide circle. The Circus Maximus was the great, it's almost like a, like a, like a field. A great meeting place, not unlike the forum. But two consuls, huh? Not unlike a president and a vice president. And we in the United States, as I timestamp this, we're uh, last third of November 2020. We always look at the primary consul that lives in the White House. But the second consul is President Pro Tempore of the Senate. Let's go to the Roman Senate. The Roman Senate were not everyday people. They were patricians, right? Patricians are those that had a legendary family. They often claimed lineage from a god. Mars or Jupiter, maybe they had an interesting story. Everyone had to have an interesting backstory, but they had land, they had property, they had wealth, and they were usually officers in the army. There's a general, they had the money to supply their soldiers. So let's think about how much that relates to where we are today. And for Professor Beard, she comments that um, we have these very, uh, you know, Roman pillar, very traditional notions of Romans being gruff, warlike, kind of not having a sense of humor and just, just being hungry to gobble up other lands and, and overlord others. And then we look to... Um, the reincarnations of the Roman Empire with the Catholic Church, the Holy Roman Empire, Spain in the New World, Portugal in the New World, all arms of the Catholic countries, and then the French and the British Empire and the totalitarians of the 20th century and America, the United States. We still use Roman organization. We still have a Senate. These folks are constantly asking us for money during election season. Professor Beard also makes a wonderful comment. It's like they did not use the word democracy. They used liberty. So liberty was what was called out from the plebeian folks, the everyday folks who sometimes had money. These are shopkeepers. These are the people in the payroll of the patricians, people who needed things done, people who were skilled. 
And I remember in, in an episode of the documentary that the law system really didn't take into account everyone. If, as in Hollywood, the crime was big enough to cause a stir or it was determined that it could undermine the balance of Rome, then it was taken to courts. But the courts weren't plebeian either. So we do get a sense of Rome devolving into this corruption that for over 2,000 years we've learned to accept from the Western world and beyond. So there were things I, I kept on thinking when I went to reach out for this book, SPQR, A History of Ancient Rome. Like, why am I thinking about Rome so much? Why does it feel like I'm still living in Rome? All I knew about Rome were basically the, the soap opera psychotic lives of Julius Caesar through, you know, Caligula, Nero, Nero's mother, Agrippina, uh, Constantine, Hadrian and Hadrian's Wall, you know, Tiberius Germanicus, all these emperors, and then the assassination of Julius Caesar, Brutus, Mark Antony and Cleopatra, all these celebrities, celebrity generals, celebrity rulers, Cicero the Great, Orator, Virgil, Epic Poet, Ovid, Subversive Poet. Literature was so important. Language and literature was the way you knew who you were talking to. How do they use words? How do people use screens and cameras nowadays? The ability to convince, to argue and debate, or to let folks know in various layers of word choice, the grammar, everything was a recipe get your message across in multiple layers when you speak, what gesture you used, the tone of voice. Great orators, great word manipulators, great speech givers, inspirers for politics, for movements. We have Hollywood now, and CNN, and everything on the screen that takes us back to what the Romans developed. How can we keep your attention and convince you that this is the way it is? We'll do it nicely with our words, but our daggers are still upon us. And murder was never present reality in Rome. And women, they didn't vote. They were 
the bosses of their homes, especially because many Roman citizens being male and generally having property, the resonances can be heard in the correspondence of uh, Revolutionary War era America, North American colonies. the responsibility of being subservient to the men of the house. There's some really cool um, inscriptions on gravestones that while it seemed as though it was, you know, something that people still think of when they think of 1950s America and defined gender roles, he works, she is the domestic boss until he gets home but then besides for women having their role to bear children and oversee the household one of the big three slaves now what I didn't realize was the very interesting and sophisticated ways that slavery was used in Roman life. So, slaves were human booty. And I'm not talking about a person's posterior. I'm saying that when they went somewhere and it became Romanized, what Professor Beard says is that that they would take all the resources but leave the houses, leave the city intact. You don't want to destroy that much, but you want to take their resources so you've got it. So they're dependent on you to a certain extent. And then you take away a certain percentage of the men and the women and the kids. And they become servants without any kind of wage. Slaves. Now, slaves could become free depending on the relationship of the master to the slave. But if we think of this weird hierarchy, the gods are to humans as the patricians and wealthy were to their slaves. They got to feel godlike through their slaves. Slaves were useful for, for everything from farming to uh, being the person you prefer to have sex with. And so there's a whole world of this slavery. And the thing is, in America, we're so used to the racial dimension of slavery. How bizarre that Greek slaves Thracian slaves, Judean slaves, you know, slaves from Carthage, slaves from Spain, lots of Gallic slaves. Probably, you know, we take into account the word Slavic and how often in the Black Sea area, north of what they called Asia Minor, now Turkey, 
did we, you know, scoop up people that are now from Ukraine and Russia? We call it them Slavic cultures, but is that word based on how often they scooped up those people from that area to work in the fields and the mines, do the building projects, and then at the discretion of their godlike masters who personally or politically saw it expedient in their best interest, beneficial to free their slaves and then get some more. Slaves were the bedrock of Roman society, which in a way makes them powerful, but also there's a long-lasting structure. And we have to consider the ways in which, whether someone gives you money or not, if you don't have the liberty, the freedom, to choose your life on the daily, in colonial America, they would, it would be called indentured servitude. You get paid, you might have a house, tiny little plot of land for your garden, but if you're an indentured servant in Massachusetts or Pennsylvania, Virginia or Georgia, then you didn't, then you really didn't have anything to look forward to outside of the pittance you were given and the seven-year contract because you committed a crime or because you had debts. And the only way to pay off your debts was a seven-year contract for someone to basically treat you how they would. So, slavery. I haven't talked that much about gods, but the Romans were um, more uh, more apt to, maybe, more, uh, let's just say they were less fussy about bringing new gods into Rome than maybe Americans might even be about non-Christians and the culture of diversity we have here, let alone other Western countries where we have had interest all around the world and then some of those people with whom we had geographic and imperial interests have now returned to the land we were a part of, the nation or the empire we were a part of. So there's a great story that I just read last night that um, they, they would just bring in new deities from other parts of the world that they had influence and were exerting power over. And in Asia Minor, it was uh, C-Y-B-E-L-E. Some say Kibela, some say Sibel. And I think it took them for a left turn because um, the priests, the those who do the sacred rites of Sibel, 
were um, self-castrated, long-haired, uh, Raul, highly, uh, what can we say? Uh, they were, they were unique. They weren't priests of Mars or Vestal Virgins, you know, or gender variants from beyond the traditional uh, histories and cultures of the city and of what we know as Italian Rome. Isis became extremely popular, the priests and priestesses of Isis from Egypt. So Romans had a very curious relationship to the peoples and the beliefs and origins to kind of keep people in Rome. Rome could represent to a certain extent within the city itself. It's you know, we gotta put it in some serious academic scare quotes, but diversity. And then of course for the for the Italian locals who had been local for generations, they get unnerved. These these strange uh, supplicants of Sibel that they castrate themselves and uh, these Isis folks and their strange rituals from Egypt, but maybe they'd go to Egypt a vacation like someone goes to, you know, Thailand or Bali or the Maldives, a faraway location with the people whose rituals and beliefs and gods are foreign from yours. But because your country has exerted influence over it, you can kind of feel safe. Like Vietnam, or Costa Rica, or Colombia. Yeah. So these were some of the big things that kept on rolling through my mind. The stories they make about their ancestors, the, the ways that Romans saw themselves through the uh, perspectives on their tombstones and their grave markers. of slaves from all over the Mediterranean, Eurasia, Northern Africa, Near East. So there we are. We have people with their divine origins, strange tales. Romulus murdering his twin brother, Ramos, 
Mars and Jupiter eventually welcoming Isis and Cybele to go from peasant farmers to industrial-sized slave farms to go from kings to consulates and senates deeply intact with their class characteristics. These are the senators who wore their white togas with the expensive purple dye and thread to show their status as overlords, enforcing their godlike actions upon the slaves of patricians and the wealthy ubiquitousness of treating other humans less than you treat those of your own kin. So that's where I'll end for this episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want a book club with me, I'm reading SPQR, A History of Ancient Rome by Professor of Classics at Cambridge, Mary Beard. You can find her BBC documentaries all over the interwebs. And I thank you for listening with me on a solo adventure to understanding gods, slaves, and human sacrifice. Till next time, thanks for listening.